Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name's Dilta Daherde, and in this podcast series, I will be interviewing investors, advisors, entrepreneurs, and recruiters who are based all over the world. And we will be discussing how to set up and operate a world-class recruitment company. Recently, I have set up a WhatsApp group for my competitors in the UK, or at least the best of them. So I've got about 10 different independent rec directs who are in the group with me and we're kind of sharing best practice and ways that we could work together. And one of them is today's guest, who is Andrew Laramotos. Andrew, and I definitely pronounced his surname wrong, is from the UK and he's worked for a few major firms in the UK before moving out to Hong Kong. He did a couple of stints in Hong Kong and in the second time that he went there, he set up a rec direct business. And it's gone really well for him. He's got one person working for him and he covers just the Hong Kong market. So we, we delved into what it's like to be a recruiter out there and his own personal journey. And in the, in the conversation, we, we went into quite a lot of depth into maybe how the, the different way that me and him operate. I, I, I have a more of a, a social media selling approach and and he has a he has i would say a really good old school head hunting calling people at their desk approach and and it's worked for him i probably should implement some of the stuff he's doing but i'm too busy doing this type of stuff uh over to andrew let us know what you think and thank you so much for all the five star ratings and if you're enjoying it please jump on to itunes and give us that and send this to another recruiter and if you know anybody who'd be interested in coming on the show whether they own a recruitment business or they're in the recruitment software game or you know they're a recruiter who's who's, who has an interesting story as long as it's agency related and it's in our world then i really want to get them on the show i'm i'm doing podcasts almost every day now over to andrew Andrew, how are you doing today? Doctor, I'm uh, not bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I am on this intermittent fasting thing, so I haven't eaten anything since yesterday, and I'm just out of the gym, and I'm feeling pumped, so I'm ready to rock. Before we go into this, tell me how to pronounce your surname. <laughs> so my family say Ladomatos. I say, uh, I think I say Ladomatos or Ladomatos, the Greek the Greek is Lathomatos. The Greek god of Rectorek. <laughs> Something like that. No one's ever called me that before. I'll take that one away with me, though. <laughs> I thought I may as well go all in. Um, I, I, yeah, thought long and hard. I really want to bring it on another Rectorek to, to the podcast. Uh, but I had a lot of benefit of uh, communicating a lot more with people in our little community recently. And, uh, and yeah, I think, uh, I think getting to know what different people are doing in different markets is uh, is really great. What about what do you think? I have no doubt that's the case. I think um, you know, as 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 you mentioned yesterday, we all cover different patches as well. There is obviously some overlap, um, but I think um, we can probably learn more from each other than we can lose by sharing with each other. I guess that's probably the way I'd look at it. 
Yeah, I I agree. Um, but we'll jump all we'll jump into all of that a little later. Um, what, what's really interesting about your story is you're a you're a, you're an English lad that is based in Hong Kong. I want to firstly, how did you get into recruitment? When did you get into it? And how did that culminate you moving to Hong Kong? Yeah, sure. So um, I I think I mean like like with a lot of people, I I graduated in in summer of two thousand and six. So we're talking twelve years ago now. Um, I knew I wanted to make a lot of money, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I had a buddy at university. His cousin was in investment banking, and he told me his cousin was making like two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand pounds a year at J.P. Morgan. So I decided in my second year of uni, I'm going to be an investment banker. I didn't even know what an investment banker did. Um, little did I know that you need good grades for, especially for capital markets. Mm. So. Um, so I was sitting there in my mum's house, you know, having moved back home in, in the summer of 06 um, on monster.co.uk, just just browsing job boards. And um, and I remember a, a headline, you know, trainee headhunter or trainee recruiter earn £100,000 in your second year. Um, and within about three seconds, my mind was made up that that's what I was going to do. Um, and I went downstairs and I told my mum I'm going to be a, a headhunter. I didn't didn't really know what a headhunter did actually. Um, uh, I think that... it's in, I think it's interesting in the in the levels of of uh, the, like sales people out there. So like on, on a very bottom end, you have call center people and maybe door to door charity workers. Mm. Then you kind of get into maybe car salesmen or secondhand car salesmen, and then you maybe you get to, you get to real estate, and then there's there's recruitment. And then I definitely above that is stockbroking and and that side of it. I always always find it like interesting where we always end up at a certain a certain level. I didn't even know that that stockbroking was a form of sales. <laughs> so so you, you jumped into you jumped into being a headhunter. What did your mom say to you? Um, she 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 told me no, don't go into London. You know, get a get a stable job around here, settle down, buy a house. But you know, luckily I wasn't too compliant with her wishes. <laughs> Where, where's around here? So um, so actually that was Amersham. So just just outside London, really, just on the outskirts. Um, you know, so I I had the ambition to go into London. I just thought you know it's a high powered city. The economy was good back then. I thought all the good jobs are there. I thought if you want to earn you know, 100K, you need to be in London. Um, so I was really, really pumped. But interesting, you stated about stockbroking. You didn't know it was a sales job. I didn't know recruitment was a sales job. Um, I knew it was hard work, a hustle. You need to be always switched on and go, go, go. I mean, that's what I read about it. But I didn't really equate that to sales, actually. So it was only when I went to meet um, the rector in London, a guy called uh, Gresh Ak- uh, Greg Ashmore, who, who I thought was awesome. Um, he told me it's sales. And then I was like, oh, OK, so it's a sales job. Mm. It, uh, it certainly is. Um, but it's also a marketing job now as well, I think. Um, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely evolved from what it was when I started eight years ago. Yep. And, and my view. No. So, so that was your first gig in recruitment through Rectorec. Where did he place you? Actually, he he didn't actually in the end place me. Um, he he had me a, a an offer at a Hydrogen uh, Partners Group, Project Partners. Um, yeah, great organisation. 
but um i had actually um been to uni and i had a good uh, a good poker buddy called uh, oliver otty and he referred me to a business called goodman masson um and in the end um i chose the goodman masson offer over uh, over greg's offer at um at hydrogen um just based on i guess chemistry feeling um you know the same stuff that all of the recruiters i place nowadays also make their decisions on um mm. so i ended up uh, there for two and a half years basically from october 06 until uh, until may 2009 they pride themselves on being a bit more flexible and, and mature in their outlook is, is that fair to say um, I think I think from what I hear, I think Guy Hayward, um, he came in towards the end of my tenure there. I think he's done a great job at, at giving them that reputation. Um, I think back then when I was there for that two and a half or just a bit more than two and a half years, I mean, it was very, very structured. You know, mm. you can't be one minute late. Um, you know, I remember back when the economy was tough, we were doing 50 spoken BD calls a week. So 10 a day. That's quite a lot. Mm. Um Maybe, maybe it's part of guys changing the organisation. Maybe it's also part of recruitment, perhaps in general in London or in the UK, changing to become more flexible with everyone talking about the subject. What, what do you think? Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think we both know from from working in in the space we do, recruitment companies in general struggle to differentiate themselves, and there's so many recruitment companies out there that. Are are like S three on speed, so they're 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 following that model. They offer a bit more, I don't know, not not working flexibility, but they're, they're a little less stuffy and they're growing really fast. There's lots of opportunities. It's very hard to pick between them. Yep. And then there's a whole other raft of companies that are boutiques, and they can be easier to pick between because the leaders can be more influential in the decision making process. Um. To, to have a large business that's also flexible and can grow well, it's it's unusual to to really for for me to be able to pinpoint one and go. This is the one where you know you'll get enough structure yet it's mature enough. And sometimes I see a big difference between a lot of the different offices around the world. So you know I, I I've heard that. You know, Robert Walters is quite structured in some of the major cities, mm. but you know, in in Perth, I had quite a lot of freedom. Um, and as soon as I had numbers on the board, they kind of just respected that and just said, just double down on what you're doing, and and that really benefited. But then, you know, I've I've dealt with Robert Half in different markets, and they have an amazing reputation mm. in the UK and Australia, and an awful an awful reputation in America and Canada. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to pick. And I, I suppose that goes down to about that business in your study and how much work have you done with them? Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting uh, point you raise. And I think that that balance between giving flexibility and actually, you know, therefore, as a result of that flexibility, it will probably be easier to hire, right? Because the reputation will make you a brand that people generally enjoy working in. I mean, people generally like flexibility, right? Um, I think the really tough thing is a really great point you raise is um, a business finding that balance between that flexibility, but also actually having structure, having daily or weekly structure, because ultimately, salespeople um with the best intentions i i'm still a believer that people need to be given 
targets, generally speaking, to do the more, you know, the more difficult stuff, the stuff that's outside their comfort zone, like, for example, a cold BD call. Um, and I agree with you, like, if we look at most of the major success stories, businesses that have grown hugely over the last, say, 10 or 20 years, businesses like, um, yeah, business, I mean, S, you know, S3 brands, Hydrogen, businesses like uh, Selby Jennings Faden, um, they've all done it with quite a similar model um, to one another, even though they may disagree with that statement. I, I think that is more, yeah, more interesting. More interestingly, I, I had Toby Babb on here and they were all in the same room in S3, most of them. So a lot of those, the leaders of those businesses all were, were managers within the, the same teams or within just different team functions within S3 at the same time. So it's a, uh, it, it really is. It, it is the model that's that's proven to be scalable. And you'll know more about the Asian market than I will. But in in America, their speed to market is so important that th that model has done a lot better over the years than Michael Page or, or Robert Walters, who have been in America for a considerable amount of time. And they, those two brands are more relationship focused okay. and they have absolutely scaled and dominated Australia. And it's really worked there mm. because you need to meet people. You need to do the coffees. You need to do all of that. But in America, it's much more product focused. And, and I, like, I, I see, I see all the, those other brands really going like great guns in comparison. Like they're, they're opening up different, different offices all the time. They have three different brands. Like the, the Faden group has three different brands within it. GQR is the same. The Frank Group has it as well, and they're all very similar model. So subtle little differences between them. And how does that compare in Asia? Because it seems like Michael Page, Robert Walters are able to scale massively. And this is just for me looking in. You're the expert of there. Yeah, they're able to scale massively there. The, there's a great amount of boutiques there, and that that touch point that they're able to provide and all the rest seems to go really well. And the more scalable businesses, I, I haven't seen them grip the market uh, over there this, to the same degree, but I, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, really interesting uh, question and point. So I think one thing that the global businesses struggle with is, is adapting to new markets. I mean, that's, that's probably cliche. I'm sure everyone says that. So that's, that's hardly groundbreaking, but um, it's interesting what you say about, say, these businesses in Oz compared to the US, um, given the fact, I mean, Oz, people often say, right, you've got to meet people like it's very relationship driven. Um, I mean, if we look at Hong Kong, because I'm not really I'm not knowledgeable of mainland China, Singapore, um, you know, very well. But Hong, Hong Kong, I, I would say, you know, I know I know relatively well. Um, I'd say, you know, more than relatively well, right? <laughs> Thank you. You live, you live and breathe it. I live and breathe it every, every, every day and every week. I think what what Page have done really well. I mean, they're my, they're my, you know, on the on the record, they're, they're my biggest hunting ground. And I think what what they've done well is they they have very very good employer branding for picking up people that want to get into the industry. Um, anyone I meet who even doesn't end up at Page most of them will have, will have at least interviewed with Paige, you know, at some stage, you know, when going for their first recruitment job. I think the the Hong Kong mentality, um, without without being too 
you know, too, too blanketing. Um, people generally like working for big brands. So when someone's got an offer for their first recruitment job with Michael Page and with a boutique, which is, you know, a five, 10 person boutique, most of the time, I think the culture here dictates that people will go with someone like Page and they hire good people, you know, presentable, you know, native, you know, strong English, you know, mm. good Cantonese Mandarin, driven, able to follow process. Um, and it's a very, very well-oiled machine. Um, Robert Walters, I find, is also like a massive success story in Hong Kong. I find people are less homogenous there than they are in Page. Um, but, you know, overall quite a similar model that that, that works incredibly well. Yeah, there's there's not a paper wall between them, I would say, in, in, in how they operate. I worked for Walters for three years um, and I've placed loads of people in Page over the years. And, and yeah, they're, they're, they're just, they're two good businesses for that. It, that's an interesting point. Do you think that maybe, uh, and, and without being like, to, to Jen, with regards to Asian people and their parents, you always hear like you know, the, they're very driven to go through the education system to make their parents proud, and work for a leading company to to make the parents proud and all of that. Even more so than 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 anywhere else in the world. Do you think that has something to play with play into them choosing those large brands? I think I think to an extent it does. I think that's probably changing over the years where perhaps, you know, young kids coming up through school and uni are are perhaps a little bit less compliant, perhaps a little bit less scared of their parents than, say, the generation 10, 20, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, but I still think it's quite deeply embedded um, in the mindset. Um, people often tell me when I've uh, when I've got them, say, two offers, you know, at two different firms, um, you know, it's quite a common conversation that they'll want to go and speak to their parents. And of course, I'm always supportive of that, you know, because it's important to them. Whereas I can't really think of too many of my buddies or or me, you know, ever consulting with my parents about about what to do. And, you know, I think that that, that partly comes down to the Asian values, really. And mm. I mean, it's, it, overall, it's a it's a it's a great thing. It's something I, I respect very, very much. So tell me, so you, you did your basic apprenticeship in Goodman Mason what was next for you yeah sure so um good journey I was placing uh, accountants into into banking NFS firms in in London you know finance product control internal audit um two and a half years contracting um I was never top I think I was number six I think out of 70 in 2008 so you know decent decent performer um 2008 was rough 2009 was rough and whilst my GP, I was doing contracting, whilst my weekly GP was still at an acceptable level, it was nowhere near what it had been, you know, in, in early to mid 2009 than, than the peak in 2008. So I basically decided, you know what, I'm young, I want to go traveling. Um, one of my ex uh, bosses, um, she's excellent. She had moved to Hong Kong in 2007, which maybe had planted the seed in my mind. So I basically spoke to um, Tim, my boss, and, uh, and Guy Hayward, who was, yeah, of course, the CEO who still is. And I said, look, I want to go traveling. I want to go and explore the world. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and then about, you know, four or five months later, whilst I was in Hong Kong, I had had a couple of conversations with firms 
about a year before just initial you know introductory conversations so I so I approached those contacts and um, yeah just ended up speaking to them and I just became more curious about about Hong Kong really and uh, yeah ended up um, getting getting two offers and, and, and going for one of them. Where did you get offers from? Um, so I got offers from uh, from Hayes and Ambition at the time. Ah, which did you go for? I went I went to Ambition. Okay and uh, wh- why did you choose Ambition over Hayes? Hayes is uh, it's a great brand. Um, I've got to be careful what I say because they're one of my clients now. They've They've absolutely smashed it in Hong Kong over the last few years. Um, but, I mean, at the time, perhaps going back to the chemistry thing, um, I really liked the guy that was running the banking team at Hayes. Um, I don't know. I, I, I felt like Ambition had more accounts, perhaps, at the time. You know, this is 2009, end of 2009. Um, it perhaps just felt a bit more me. Nothing, you know, against Hayes, of course. Um, you know, but in the end, uh, no regrets with the decision I made because I, I did do well there. Yeah, look, Hayes are a great place to start your career. Um, I think if you're if somebody's two or three years in, the ambition brand can be a bit more appealing, and um, they can uh, uh, they usually hit hit like pain points of somebody who's worked for a bigger brand and mm. offer a slightly different solution. Um, and again. Hayes are great in different markets at different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Australia, they're, they're really good. Um, in, in the UK, you know, they're kind of almost, they're, they're so large that, you know, you, they are the, I'll work there for a year, I'll learn my trade and then I'll move on. Um, I've, I've, met, I've met and went drinking with the guys in, in New York as well when I was there. Um, singing come on Eileen at God knows what hours <laughs> which was great um, and and they've got a great a good model over there and it, it really just like these big brands they get typecast with like you're rubbish or you know you're great or the different offices are very different in my experience again I always seem to come back to that so so you're uh, you joined Ambition how long did you how long how long did you do do in there for so I was there for uh, almost um, a year and a half. So I joined in uh, March uh, 2010 okay, cool. and left in June 2011, um, about a year and three months, actually, um, just to go traveling. I had a, uh, I had a, at the time, girlfriend living in Melbourne, and we basically decided I, I, earned, I earned well there. I saved up a lot of money in, in, in just over a year. And um, I basically decided, look, you're only young once for the second time, and I want to go travelling again. Yeah, and uh, so you went, you went travelling. Where'd you go? Yeah, so headed to uh, to Australia to meet her. Then went down to um, to New Zealand. Uh, went back home. Came back home to the UK for a couple of weeks. Did some of Europe, and then spent four months in South America. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, great experience, and just just good to take a break after quite an intense um you know year and three months quite an intense year and four months but all, all self-imposed you know not imposed by ambition just uh, I, I i tended to put a lot of pressure on myself and you know try to operate at a million miles an hour yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough gig you know it's uh as i get older i'm better at balancing it and, and we'll jump into some of that a, a, a bit a bit later when uh when 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 we discuss your own business at the moment um 
so, so, you, so you had that nice break. You went back to, you went back to, to Hong Kong again. Was that a big decision to move back to Hong Kong after being away for so long, or was it, you know what, this is the best place in the world where I can make money. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, it wasn't too tough a decision. I think sometimes you need to not have something um, or not be part of something to to miss it. Um, I mean, I think we all we all think like that as human beings, and. You know, I had moved to Vancouver. Um, you know, we had plans to go to Vancouver and settle down for a few years. And I just remember, you know, it, it comes to 7 p.m. It's dark. It's cold. It's miserable. Um, no one seems to go out. Um, and I just remembered, like, how fast-paced Hong Kong was, the lifestyle. Like, it's so dynamic. Everyone's always up for doing something. Everyone lives close to each other. And I just kind of missed that, you know, as a kind of young, at the time, what was I, I would have been 27. Um, this was, yeah, 2012. Um, so it wasn't too hard a decision to think, you know what, let's, let's, let's take in a, second, a second adventure there. And, you know, no, no regrets. I mean, coming back here six years ago was, yeah, it's one of the best decisions I, I think I've ever made. And particularly in the light of how, how things have worked out with, with the Rectorec business. Yeah, so talk to me about, this is the second time you're going back to that market. What lessons learned did you take in your own journey when you were searching for a job there? I don't think I took, I mean, without, without sounding stubborn, I don't necessarily think I, you know, ambition was, it, it was, a, it's a brilliant firm. You know, my, my boss and my colleague there were global number one and global number two. They had an unbelievable work ethic. Like you've never seen before. Um, so it was a good experience and I built well. So it wasn't like it was a mistake. And therefore I felt like I could really, you know, learn too many lessons from those mistakes. Um, you know, I, I kind of came back with just, just both eyes open really. And, and, and thought, let's, let's get back and, and see what happened. Uh, yeah. But what, what type of things did you do in your job search? Like you must've, this time you must've known the place to live, how to go about that. Like you must have had a better idea on who I want to work for. And how did you approach that? Because the last time you obviously had two major brands. Yeah, really good question, actually. And um, it kind of it kind of makes me think about how to advise, you know, the recruiters I meet nowadays, because I don't actually think I did come back with a game plan. Um, I didn't I, I had no idea what I wanted, actually. And. I, I kind of came back thinking, let's just get back to Hong Kong. I'll reconnect with my friends and like, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens, um, which sounds really unplanning, I guess. It sounds like there was no strategy to it, but I have to admit that's, that's, that's kind of what my thought process was at the time, you know, back in, back in, um, back in early 2012. Um, so you worked for another search firm for yeah. a year and then, how did it come about that you set up your first company? Yeah, so ever since um, my placement year at uni, I worked in, a, in IBM in finance. And I mean, IBM's a great firm, but it was the worst year of my life. I, I hated working in financial processing. You know, it's kind of linked to accounting. So I came out of that as a cocky 20-year-old, you know, going into my final year of uni. And I said to my mum, hey... I'm going to, I'm never going to work for anyone else. I'm, 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 I'm going to work for myself as soon as I graduate. Obviously that wasn't very realistic. I don't think I had the, the, the mental capacity or, or the commercial acumen, you know, to do anything on my own at, of course, the age of 21 when I graduated. Um, 
so I got back and I started thinking, so after this, after this search firm, I started thinking, okay, so I do want to work for myself. So what, 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 what should I do? And, and I, and I, you know, I had never been number one in, 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 in the recruitment firms, but I had always, I had always been about sort of top 10, top 12, top 15%. So I thought I can do it. It's just about choosing the market. Um, so how did Rec to Rec come about? I consulted with a few of my friends <laughs> A couple of them were like, no, don't do Rectorec. It's a grind. It's horrible. People are prima donnas, you know, don't, don't touch it. You'll build more elsewhere. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's a market where there's a genuine massive demand for good recruiters at pretty much any level in any sector. Um, it's a market I felt like I, I, you know, I understood and I could relate to having worked in a couple of you know, non-rectorect firms. I felt like I understood the business model of a of a recruitment firm. Um, and by the time you know that came about, I I already knew quite a few of the MDs, and I would just WhatsApp them, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting my own rectorect firm. Um, will you use me?" And you know, unanimously, people were like, "Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't we? You know, we're always hiring." So that kind of gave me the confidence, I guess, to say, "You know what? Let's pull the trigger." and and uh, and let's do it. And this was uh, yeah, back in um, early 2014, March 2014, that I uh, that I started. Um, you joined uh, you joined uh, Absco for very early on. Did you get uh, they're the professional body? In case anybody's wondering, um, did you get any benefit from that? You must have. You've you've kind of kept kept going with them. <laughs> I think maybe I need to end the uh, membership on my LinkedIn if I haven't already. Um, <laughs> I I haven't uh, had. Uh, I mean, I, I just haven't heard from Absco for a couple of years. So, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing negative or nothing positive. Um, I went to a couple of meetings early on um, 2015, I think, towards the end of 2015. That was good for networking. But I always remember they seemed to be a little bit more Singapore um, slanted. Or oh, I was just um, curious. Yeah. Um, I've heard their, uh, I heard their MD on a podcast discussing just about the, their focus on, on the States. And then I, I kind of looked, looked into it and I thought, Oh, what would I really get out of that? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, um, those early days you're setting up a rector How do you set up a business in Hong Kong? Yeah, sure. This is one of the, one of the things I really love about Hong Kong as well is like, you know, there are open arms. It's very, very friendly for people to either come as an employee of a company that wants to sponsor them or come as a, uh, as a business owner to, to, to sponsor yourself. So essentially um, what you do if you want to work for yourself is you, uh, there's two types of investment visa. Um, the first one, as I know, I mean, it involves investing lots of money, I think in property, and then you can, you can, you can live here that way. Or the second one is the one I did. So it's the second type of investment visa where essentially you set up a company, you nominate yourself as a director, as a major shareholder, and you sponsor yourself um, mm. to work there. So how much you, does that cost? Uh, so for me, I remember at the start, the total cost of setting up the company, setting up the bank account, all the paperwork and sponsoring myself for the investment visa I actually paid a, uh, a comp sec uh, lady to do it, who's awesome. And it cost uh, in total 22,000 Hong Kong dollars, um, uh. which is what, 2,200 pounds. What? Um, there's no minimum uh, capital requirement. Uh, and as far as I know, that's not changed. 
Um, I think I started with 200,000 Hong Kong, which is, yeah, 20K pounds. Unbelievable. That's, uh, that's incredible. Um, to do the same thing in America, <laughs> there's a minimum capital of 35. Um, I, I can't quote what it is for Australia, but it's absolutely ridiculous. 35 US um, to set up. Okay. And, then, and I'm sure the lawyer's fees are a lot more in the States as well. Is that, is that right? What's your experience with it? I think it's 5K. Um, okay. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it yet, but it's something I'm looking into once the, once the kiddies are, uh, are able to go to school and maybe Charlotte can go back to work and do all of that, that good stuff. Um, we'd, uh, we'd consider, uh, consider moving to America. It's funny, you know, cause I've placed recruiters in every corner of the earth now and I, I have a good view of what's happening in different markets. Mm-hmm. Maybe not like a laser focus like you do on one particular one, but I have a good view on the U S and, and I'm doing a lot there. And, I feel like this is one of the great times to be a recruiter in America. The, the, it's, it's so candidate driven on every, in every area. Mm. Average recruiters are, are billing monstrous amounts of money and, and you know, lifestyle wise and all the rest. As soon as I don't, do you have kids, Andrew? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can go, you can go wherever you want, but uh, <laughs> whenever, whenever you get caught in, uh, in this loop, yeah, there's a few more things to consider, and uh, and the West Coast of uh, of America has always really grabbed my attention. So, talk to me about the early days of setting up a rector egg. Now, you're a professionally trained agency recruiter, and you've done it in different uh, different organisations. And you mentioned you've always you've always performed. Um, what type of firstly did you have an office? you doing it from a co-working space what type of stuff did you have in your initial setup and what if you could do it again what would you do differently yeah sure great great question so um for the investment visa as well as for the recruitment agency license you actually need a physical office um i mean i have heard stories of people finding a way around that but i've always had a physical office i always wanted to do it by the book um, I always also saw massive benefit in having a separation between your home and your office. I always felt like, you know what, I need a physical space. I can come in, get there at nine, nine thirty, work until seven thirty eight every day. I just feel like it's so hard to have that same work ethic if you're working from home because there's so many distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we have at the start? I mean, a phone, a computer um linkedin premium account not recruiter account um and whatsapp um that's it and that was it um and what was it just you at the start actually i initially co-founded the firm with a guy um so at the start yeah so from march 2014 and um after eight months in november 2014 we kind of shook hands and and agreed that, you know, maybe his heart wasn't as much in it and, you know, he didn't really want to do it long term. So we had a uh, we had an agreement that I would essentially buy out his shares. Um, so I then went from being a 50 50 partner to to 100 uh, percent owner. Um, did you have a plan? Did you see did you have a vision on on where your rec direct business could go? Um, I did. But I also think, you know, thinking back to my first job in London when they would always ask us to do a plan for the year. I, I think there are so many um, 
things that can happen in your favor or against your favor that there's only so much you you, you, you can plan. So I think my, my, my primary planning now comes daily or weekly rather than quarterly or yearly. Um, so at the start, I mean, you know, over coffee, we were talking about how we do it. And essentially what I did was, I mean, it sounds simple, but I just approached the MDs I knew, um, started talking, you know, started talking to them, met them, what are your requirements? You know, what levels are you looking for? Um, and then we, you know, so we had about maybe five or six clients from week one. Um, and we would spend most days of that first kind of four, five, six months just on LinkedIn. So just mm. connecting with people and sending them very, very individualized, you know, personalized message. Hi, X. How's it going at Michael Page? Having been there for four and a half years. I know you're probably not looking, but, you know, if you're open to a conversation, let's talk. Here's my number. Um, but I found out, or I guess we found out um, quite quickly that actually linking in with recruiters, I just don't think it works that well. So I, so I changed the, the strategy uh, perhaps late that year, late 2014, to instead of linking in people, just, just calling people at their desk, um, which I found much, much more effective. How many people do you call at a desk a day? Five or six. Anybody ever tell you to F off? No one's ever told me to FF, not like in London. Because <laughs> um, they would in London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's a more aggressive market. Um, Hong Kong, I think, you know, people are generally polite. The worst, uh, the, the worst thing you'll have is someone hanging up, um, which, of course, as a recruiter, you have to deal with and, and move on immediately. Um, but people are generally very, very respectful and, and polite here. Um, and I think that goes with all markets actually not not just rec to rec you know recruiting accountants recruiting tech people recruiting lawyers um i think people are generally more curious to take your call out in this part of the world than they are in the uk and perhaps part of that comes down to the competition levels just being lower and i think people aren't hounded as much mm. I, it's a funny one you know i i struggle with rec to rec i uh I love speaking to good recruiters and I love helping them move around the world. Um, but doing this podcast and getting to speak to some of the founders of, uh, of recruitment companies, a, a bit of me does, does think, why didn't I just stick to doing tech recruitment? <laughs> why, why didn't I double down in that and just go through the hard yards and, and really, you know, really try and build a scalable business? I find that RecDirect is a tough business to scale out. It's easy to get clients. The candidate piece is, is hard, but it's possible. But part of my main issue is that everybody wants the same type of profile. Yeah. And it, it's the same everywhere else in the world. Professionally trained, two to five years, not too expensive, still hungry, you know, not too many jobs. And, and, and you're always asked for that. And that's, and that's the standard. The, the point, is, the, the difficult piece is that a lot of people leave the industry. So the pool of people within that yeah. me, means that you're not placing the same person two or three times um, as much as you would in, in an IT person's career. And I'm sure there's a rector out there who's going, oh, I've placed this person loads. But mm. I've done IT recruitment for four years and the people that I placed are still in those jobs. And 
like I, I could you could work with that person along the whole career line of yours because they'll go from being a tester to a business analyst to a project manager to a program manager to a C, to an IT manager to, to a CIO and there's there's just a there's a nice linear path that you can help people along their careers. I find that in agency recruitment, so many people leave the industry because we're not built to keep them. We're built to drive three, so one will survive. And it's a it's a tough business to scale. Do you ever have any pangs of of regret or envy when you uh, when you talk to some of the, the cool boutique startups that you deal with out there? Uh, not at all. I think you know you have to be you have to be blinkered to an extent in thinking. You know, I'm competing with myself. Ultimately, I want to do as well as I can. Those guys can do as well as they can. Often, of course, you'll meet companies. I spoke to one just this morning, actually, and you know, they're they're absolutely murdering it, right? And they they are tech into banking. They're doing so so well out here, um, and it does make you think, wow, what if? But then I also think um, there is an element, as as we all face as recruiters, of like the grass is always greener, right? We always yeah. hear about how well other people are doing. I remember when I used to cover banking in London, and I used to think, damn, you know, my guys covering commerce, finance, and accounting. Um, you know, so much easier for them to get on the PSLs and they can call a CFO and win business, you know, whereas I can't. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not sure there, there were guys in those teams saying, hey, you know, these guys in banking, they're making so much more than us. You know, their salaries are so much higher. Um, so I think it's important to try to not be affected too much. Um, and, and, and also to remember that everyone you speak to is always going to say how well their business is doing. And if it's not there, they'll never tell you. Um, you know, yeah. but, 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 but talking about Rectorex specifically, it's, it's, it's interesting, actually. Um, I mean, your, your, your coverage is, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's super exciting for candidates in a way because they can actually go to the U S with you, right. You can open that door that they might not be able to open themselves. Um, but I often compare Rectorex and other people compare it to say recruiting for say private banking, you know, relationship managers or, or perhaps associates into law firms where there are many vacancies. They're always hiring candidates, King, find a good person, get them speaking to a few firms. And in theory, you should place them. And I find the way to operate well in that market. It's so hard because generally people that are doing well don't move very often. One of my best buddies is a corporate finance headhunter. He's got 12 years experience i think he's only ever moved once and he bills year in year out i find the only way to really do well in a market where it's it's hard to port people right good people don't look very often is just by being laser focused cover one market get into bed with everyone you know get really intimate with everyone and have them hopefully like you enough to tell you information when someone left or when someone's looking and i find that's worked really well for us whereas i think if we were to be asia regional I don't think we would have done so well, I guess, but maybe I'm wrong. You don't know that, though. <laughs> this is true. You know, I, <laughs> I actually think you could do Singapore and China, no problem. Um, and you'd have the credibility to do it as well. And the experience of dealing with uh, with, with Asian candidates. Um, but uh, but maybe that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Um, so I do think about it as well. And I think, um, you know, as we were saying on the phone yesterday, the tricky thing with Rec to Rec, as you as you said earlier on this on this cool podcast as well, is, yes, yeah, scaling is 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 not easy. Um, it's easy to create a job for yourself. It's very hard to create a business. Yeah, that's that's it. Now, we have different uh, we've different way, op- ways of operating and. 
you know, when, whenever you said you said to me yesterday, you said, look, yeah, the core focus is is headhunting calls at people's desk. I was like, I probably haven't done one mm. <laughs> in four in four years. And mm. uh, we are we are operate very different models. And I probably should incorporate some of uh, some of your stuff into mine. And um, I find that like I mine is slightly different in that I think it's fair to say mine would be a lot more social selling yes. than, uh, th- than what you do. And a lot of what I try and do is to create an inbound solution. But I read I read a book called The 4-Hour Working Week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And really famous book. But basically, the gist of it is that you, you, work, you have a look, you list down all of your work processes. So like think of like document... In a, in a week, over a week, a day, or however long, then create tasks out of those. Then work out which of these tasks could be done by someone else yeah. and which can be done by me. And I believe in, in rec to rec especially and in recruitment, the only thing that's important that I do, is, the three things that are important is for me to speak to every candidate and consult, for me to speak to every client and consult, and for me to try and create content that improves people's knowledge of whatever whatever industry I'm in. And everything else can be put into a work process, documented and taught for someone else. Mm. And whenever we started out, Charlotte did a lot of that stuff. So uh, she was like, look, I, I've been in recruitment for a while now. I don't really want to speak to anybody. I was like, okay, no problem. Like, be my business analyst, like, uh, like create all those workflows, make yeah. all that happen. And then when Charlotte started having babies, we started giving more and more responsibility to our assistant, uh, Andrea. And she now saves me 30 hours a week of, you know, all that back and forth stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we try and do it so in a, in a way where I get enough touch points on the candidate and on the client. But that there's been a, a lesson learned over over time as well. And then we've tried to, we've hired Arena to do the front end stuff with LinkedIn, with, with like trying to trying to message, trying to hook in as many calls as possible, and just trying to create the best candidate experience journey that we can. So the the thought is to, it's from the moment that they that that somebody engages us, we then put them into our WhatsApp group. We we try and figure out what what's their key drivers before the call we then we then drill down to that action plan and then we map the journey along with the client to get to the outcome but it's taken a long time to to get that together and and then i suppose i would make a lot more money if i was to just get on the bloody phone and call people at their desks well look, there are definitely pros and cons to to yeah. both ways of doing things and obviously there are definitely you know massive overlaps between you know, the way I do things and the way the way you do. I think one thing um, I struggle with a little bit and I think, um, is, you know, is, is, is the fact that whenever I send um, the interview confirmation to the candidate and, you know, t- this is one thing that um, the guy that's working for me, Keir, um, who's doing a great job, he's been with me for uh, almost two years now, is we always want to send very, very tailored uh, interview confirmations to, to people to like to really maximize the value 
we give to those recruiters. So it's not just like, you know, go to this office, here's who you're seeing, here's some general notes about the business. We always try to think about like, what does that person want? How do we think they'll get on personality wise? What do we think the client will, how do we think the client will analyze that person's CV and the cover letter we sent? What objections might they have? And we want to always give that person advice for how to kind of address those you know, not, not, not like falsely selling themselves, but just to make sure that false preconceptions, you know, are, you know they're not overlooked too much. Um, and I think if we automate too much, I think we might struggle with, with personalizing everything. But, you know, may, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that way. I'm keen to hear your opinion on that. I think there, I think, so we've developed 50 questions that recruitment agencies ask recruiters and and we get them to think about what those questions are specifically. And a lot of that is based around either moving jobs or moving or, 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 or their billings or their business development. Yeah. And we try and get those objections first from the client or during each stage. So then we can prepare the candidate then for the next stage. And a lot of that can to say automated isn't fair mm-hmm. because because the girls are working are working for me and they've been working for me for a long time so they, what they do is automated in terms of a process but only in the same way that if i was setting up my desk my my non-virtual automation would be i will call this person they'll give me permission i will then send an email to the client i will then do all that. like it it's very much the same thing yeah um but Part, I, I think uh, I think it's definitely something we're trying to get better at uh, because I cover such a broad remit. I would say that they're personalizing it to the same extent you're probably able to do in that market would be would be a challenge because I might have the same intimate knowledge of each and every client. We'd have a good idea, mm, but mm. you know it. It, it's as and when, you know, we've, um, I've spent the last year getting rid of clients rather than accumulating them. Yeah, it makes sense. No, I think the important thing to remember is there are always pros and cons to your service. You know, the way you do things, there are, be- there are massive benefits and drawbacks to that, both for candidates and clients. And I think there is no model that works, um, that works for everyone. And you know, there is there is no recruiter, whether they're a rec to rec or, or in other markets that like everyone likes. Um, and I think it's about recognizing that that the way I do things has flaws, it has limitations and, and, and just being OK with that. Yeah, for sure. So we are now 50 minutes into this uh, this podcast. Would you believe that? Time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you're having, <laughs> when you're having fun. OK, let's be specific on this one now and um, what countries can people move to hong kong from what do they need to have education wise drill into some of that other stuff yeah sure so there are not hard and fast rules um like there are um, in my experience at least like there are in 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 australia I remember people telling me in Australia something like two years with a degree, five years without. Um, three, no. Okay. Three years with. Yeah, three, three years with, five years without. 
Yeah, okay. So I generally find that you know the uh, the Hong Kong immigration. I mean, I, I'm I'm no immigration lawyer or, or expert, but they they want to see someone has um, relevant experience um, from overseas. From it from 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 most countries, it doesn't really matter where you come from. Um, having said that, I have placed successfully people with not not much you know after graduation experience no chinese language skills no recruitment experience no sales experience maybe 6 to 12 months of just working experience um and 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 they've always been approved by immigration um so generally speaking i tend to tell people look for anyone that's got a year and a half to two years or more recruitment experience from overseas in, in pretty much any country, as long as you've got some kind of billing track record. Um, and as long as you have some specific interest in Hong Kong for, you know, for different reasons, then, then if you're good, firms will always talk to you. And the immigration part's not too, not too strict, actually. And, and that's important there. There's the specific reason for Hong Kong. You get asked a lot that, don't you? Like, like you know, what's your compelling reason for moving here? Yeah, exactly. So generally I find... Um, in Australia, from what I know from the Rectorex I've spoken to there, um, Australian recruitment companies or, or Australian offices, they, they seem much more opportunistic. So, you know, what, what, what one Rectorex told me in Oz was, you know, anyone from, from London who's yeah, got more than a couple of years, who's just open to the idea, all the firms would be keen to talk to them. Not anymore. Okay. Since, since, <laughs> the, the, since the visa the, changes and the minimum salary of 90,000 plus super, like before you could pay them 60 grand and get them in. Yep. Like, yep. So the, the ROI is harder. It's a lot, right? I mean, 90 Oz, um, especially when you, you look at the pound, the strength of the pound now, um, it's, it's a lot of money, right? It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, so, so, so generally I find, yeah, firms in Hong Kong, they'll still be very opportunistic, but they'll want to know, yeah, specifically why Hong Kong, you know, is the person interested in Chinese culture or they've been there a few times or they've got a network there. Um, they won't generally, I, in my experience, be, be, be as turned on by someone who just, just wants to go overseas or just wants to go anywhere. And one of the places they're happy to consider is Hong Kong. Mm. When people say that to me, I, I tend not to, not, to, not to chase them too much, um, the candidate that is, because I kind of think, well, they'll probably end up in ours, you know, or, or, you know, Hong Kong is more foreign, of course, than Australia, and it's more foreign than Singapore. Um, so I tend to find if people have some specific reasons, mm. they want to come here. I mean, even if the reason is I've never been, but I've done this research on the market. I know these are the main sectors. I know these are the main competitors. I would like to focus on this market for these reasons. You know, for me, that's convincing. Mm. And tell me, um, is it, it's quite focused on financial services and tech and legal. Um, is that fair to say? Uh, it's a big part. Um, financial services, I mean, it's not as strong as it used to be. The boom of front office from, well, many years, I mean, 10, I guess, being 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 a big year for many of the, the top search guys in front office out here. Um, the boom of risk and compliance from sort of 2013 to 2016 2017 you know it's not as strong um but fs is still a massive part of my portfolio um front middle and back uh, legal legal 
is a big market. It's relatively competitive. Um, there are many, many small firms getting into legal recruitment because obviously law firms, they're quite happy to work with different people. It's just, can you give them product? Can you give them good candidates? Um, tech is definitely growing. That's more functional tech than industry. So internet tech, that's more Shenzhen, Singapore. Um, so most of the tech recruiters I'm placing the biggest billers are our banking tech, generally speaking. So the guys placing your front office dev, you know, on 80 to 100 and whatever Hong Kong a month. Um, but there are many other markets. You know, HR is, is, is a decent sized functional market. Accounting and finance is a decent sized functional market. Um, sales and marketing, every firm, pretty much every generalist firm has a sales and marketing team. Yeah, a few more um, digital getting in there as well isn't there yeah definitely so there are lots of digital uh boutiques they normally dovetail with the tech side as well so they brand themselves as digital and tech um and there's a lot of companies in my experience who are saying oh i'd love a contract recruiter but they don't really have the infrastructure or anything set up to do it. it's tough doing contract out there isn't it um so it's less mature than london yeah. i think um candidates um in any sectors you know whether you're an accountant or you're a tech you know guy or girl um, they're, they're less excited about doing contract. I think generally the Asian mentality, again, without being too generalist, they like stability, they like a permanent job, um, but it's changing. It's changing quite quickly. You know, in some of the, in some of the big firms, the top biller is actually a, a contract recruiter, which I don't think would have been the case six, seven years ago. So they're, 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 they're successfully transitioning that piece in. That's interesting. It's, it's growing. My, my advice normally when clients ask me for a contract recruiter is, um, yeah, find someone from overseas who's up for it or, or move someone from perm who's up for doing contracting or take a good junior um, and give them a contracting desk. Because, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in the UK, getting someone to walk from their book when their book's anything more than, say, two to two and a half thousand pounds a week, they're generally not going to be going anywhere. I mean, why would they? Right. Mm. I know. Um, so who should reach out to you? And where can they find you? And what, uh, yeah, what, what's hottest right now from the standpoint of UK recruiters that are, are thinking, or Australians that are thinking of sure. making the move? Sure. So your three questions. So firstly, who should reach, and thanks for asking those. Um, so who should reach out? <laughs> anyone, anyone that's interested in Hong Kong. Oh. Um, anyone that just wants an exploratory you know, half an hour Skype or half an hour call. Um, what's it like? What are the pros and cons? You know, I'll never, I'll never turn into hardcore pitching mode and 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 tell people, you know, you have to come here. It's it's the best thing ever. I'll I'll hopefully be as objective as possible. Um, how can they find me? LinkedIn publicly has all my details, my mobile, my desk, my email. Um, anytime, call me. What's hot? Your third question. Yeah, tech digital. I think half my placement so far in 2018, so Jan till now, which is what, seven and a half months, half of my placements are digital or tech related. Um, front office has bounced back, sales trading, structuring, so markets and also corporate finance, private banking. People are still hiring in these areas, asset management. Um, tech digital is the biggest um legal finance and accounting sales and marketing in fact people are it's very very rare i'll speak to a firm with 
with seven or eight different divisions and they'll say, we're not hiring in this division, especially at consultant and senior consultant level. They'll always be opportunistic um, as and when they can find good people. Andrew, enjoy the rest of your holiday. We'll catch up soon. Daughter, thanks very much. See you later. Well, massive thank you to Andrew for coming on the podcast and really cool to get a view of somebody who's on the ground out there. I think we, we probably have shared a lot of similar clients over, uh, over the years. Um, Hong Kong hasn't really been a big focus of mine, but I have clients asking me for people all the time there. And it was really, really good to get to speak to Andrew on on you know the specifics of that market and what works and you know how how he's finding success there and uh, and fair play to him you know young guy from England out there and just setting up uh, setting up a corporation and making a go of it and and it sounded pretty easy in, to be honest to to get it up and going and all the rest um he's been going four years and he has one person working for him. Um, I have been almost in this for about four years as well, three and a half, and we've got t- uh, we've two assistants, um, not f- completely full time, and neither are fully three sixty. So it's, I think the point that we were discussing that rec direct businesses are quite hard to scale. You know, it it really is true, and from communicating with with the other independent rec directs. Um, I, I think a lot of them have found the same challenges um, because it's an easy enough business to set up. It's just a hard enough business to build out. Anyway, great episode. Um, really enjoyed uh, speaking to Andrew and hearing how, how he does his thing. Um, and tomorrow, hopefully, we'll have another amazing guest. Um, anyway, have a great start to the week. And, you know, go out there. Do the stuff I'm not. <laughs> Aggressively headhunt. Make more money than me. Enjoy yourselves. God bless. Good luck.